Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. You reached Nathan Williams. Sorry, I couldn't make it to the phone. Uh, please leave your name and number and a message. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Thank you very much. Nate, hey man, it's Luke. I was just calling because you are such a video game fanatic, especially like a vintage video game fanatic, and I just thought I would make sure that you were aware that this week marks 30 years since the release, at least the North American release, of the Super Nintendo. I was going to see what your favorite game was because I'm sure you had one. I'm sure you still have one. So anyway, hope you're doing well. Talk to you soon. From Mill U Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Bronner. This is Season 3, Episode 31, Barton, Bob, and Mr. Bungle. Today we're looking back at the weeks that ended August 17th and 24th, 1991. Welcome, friends, to the first of three special double episodes of 30 Pop, each covering two weeks' worth of 1991 pop culture headlines and deep dives. I couldn't be happier to be all up in your ears right now, but don't worry if you don't feel quite as excited about it yet. I've got enough enthusiasm for the whole class, and I am more than willing to share. The main reason for my excitement this week is, for once, almost entirely unrelated to what was happening in Hollywood, although we did have some solid movie releases as well. It had far more to do with the tremendous amount of activity we had in the music scene over these two weeks. We had a number of albums that released, several of which were debuts, and even while I wasn't a mega fan of any of these acts, they were each pretty significant to their specific genre. But before we get into what was new this and last week, let's quickly recap the things that weren't. For example, the top album in the country for the final two of five consecutive weeks at number one was Natalie Cole's Unforgettable with Love. The top single on the Billboard Hot 100 for each of the last two weeks remained the anthemic Brian Adams ballad, Everything I Do, I Do It For You. The number one song on the Hot Rap chart for the week ending August 17th was for the second and final week, Chub Rock's The Chubster. It was replaced this past week in 1991, though, by rap newcomer Jabri Wise One's debut single, The House the Dog Built. I'd never heard this song and never heard of this artist before prepping this episode. As it turns out, the album that featured this song, Ear Candy, came out almost entirely by chance in 1990, and because of record label turmoil and turnover, just as quickly slipped through the cracks despite the success of this single. Jabri was shuffled around a bit for a few years, then spent a few years in prison where his interest in music faded, as did his place in the world of hip-hop. 
According to an interview I found from 2005, he was stocking beer for a living at a local store in Cincinnati and being a dad, and music was but a memory. But for this week in 1991, he was on top. The number one song on the hot R&B and hip-hop chart 30 years ago for each of the last two weeks was Peebo Bryson's Can You Stop the Rain. Baby, can you stop the rain from falling? Won't you chase my clouds away? I'd give anything to see the sun again. Only you can stop these tears from falling. I can't face another day. Baby, can you stop? Can you stop the rain? By 1991, Peebo Bryson had already been part of the music scene for a full two and a half decades, having begun his professional music career at only 14 years of age. And despite being twice the age of many of his chart peers, he still had a significant amount of success to look forward to. Over the course of the next two years, he'll win back-to-back Grammys for his Disney animated feature theme song duets, Beauty and the Beast with Celine Dion and A Whole New World from Aladdin with Regina Bell. And musical success isn't the only thing Bryson experienced later in life than most. In 2018, shortly before his 68th birthday, he became a father. Again, a full 40 years after his first child was born, and no telling how many years after his three grandchildren were born. I mean, do your thing, Peebo. Impressive. At the top of the hot country chart for each of these two weeks in 1991 was another artist in his late 30s, but one who was no stranger to chart success. The artist, George Strait. The song, You Know Me Better Than That. This was one of many songs over the course of Strait's incomparably successful career that had zero resemblance to his actual love life. He has made a lot of money over the course of the last several decades singing songs about failed relationships. Ironic, mainly because this December he'll celebrate his 50th wedding anniversary with his high school sweetheart, Norma, with whom he eloped when they were still teenagers. This, like most George Strait songs, did very, very well at radio and still gets regular airplay 30 years later. On August 15, 1991, the wonderfully gifted and endearingly quirky Paul Simon played a concert in Central Park, New York, which aired live on HBO and was originally estimated to have had over 600,000 attendees. Although later estimates claim there couldn't have been more than 48,500 in attendance based on the space's capacity. That exaggeration feels eerily similar to certain presidential inaugurations in the not-too-distant past. But I digress. 
However many people were there, this was an amazing show, which pulled heavily from Simon's two most recent albums at the time, which happened to be my two favorite Paul Simon albums and two of my all-time favorites from any artist, Graceland and Rhythm of the Saints. Had he only worked the song 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover in, I'd have considered this a perfect set list. The live recording of this show would release as a double album and as a VHS video a few months later to minimal commercial success, but significant critical acclaim. We can come back to that later, but for now, let's take a look at the huge new releases we had over the last couple weeks in 1991. As I mentioned, we had a number of debut albums released from artists across the entire spectrum of musical genres. The first, which most of you will likely have never heard of, but which I'm obliged to mention in memory of their biggest fan, my lifelong best friend and previous 30 pop guest, Nathan Schartz, who spent the final three decades of his life trying to get me to give this band a chance, which, regrettably, I didn't do until after he passed and I inherited his entire music collection. The self-titled debut from experimental rock band Mr. Bungle. While I don't know of any other person in my life who knew or loved this band besides Nathan, I do know they have a loyal fan base. The band hails from Northern California and is fronted by Mike Patton, who is more famously known as the frontman for Faith No More. In fact, in the music video for Faith No More's best known and, in my opinion, best overall song, Epic, Patton can be seen wearing a Mr. Bungle t-shirt. Although they began as a death metal band in the mid-1980s, they evolved into an extremely eclectic, genre-hopping, alternative funk, punk, ska, jazz, speed, thrash metal, I don't even know what. They played odd time signatures and used very non-traditional, nonsensical song structures. They disbanded in the year 2000, but ironically reunited for a series of reunion shows in February of 2020. The very week, Nathan died unexpectedly performing one of their earliest song collections in its entirety, The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny Demo, which they've since re-recorded and released as a new full-length album. Nathan would be so, so pleased. He'd also be disappointed that, try as I have and as I will continue, I still just don't get their music, or their song titles. For example, the 2020 album includes songs like Anarchy Up Your Anus, Mathematics, and Spreading the Thighs of Death. Their self-titled debut from last week in 1991 featured titles such as Travolta, Squeeze Me Macaroni, and My Ass is on Fire. I'm sorry, Nate. I just don't get it. Anyway, moving on. Another group that released their self-titled debut on August 13, 1991, this one to massive critical and commercial success, California-based rap group Cypress Hill. The album achieved double platinum status and eventually spent 88 straight weeks on the Billboard 200 list, still charting a full two years after releasing and overlapping with their even more acclaimed sophomore album, Black Sunday. It's considered by many to be one of the most influential albums of all time in defining the sound of West Coast rap that has dominated the last three decades of music, and it served to establish Cypress Hill as one of the genre's most revered acts of all time, at least by their peers and by critics. We'll hear much more from Cypress Hill over the next few years on this show. The third debut album to release 30 years ago last week was entitled Brand New Man by country duo Brooks and Dunn. This album was huge, and it'll resurface a lot over the next several months. It sold over 6 million copies in the U.S. alone and produced four number one singles in a row. But even with all its success, it didn't hold a candle to the last new release from August 13, 1991. The only one that was not a debut. 
an album I can't stand by a band I've never liked for a single minute of my now nearly 42 years of life. The 16-time platinum selling, let me say that again, the 16-time platinum, nearly double diamond selling, self-titled fifth studio album from the incomprehensibly huge rock band Metallica. And now, a moment of silence for America's taste in rock music. I do not now, nor will I ever understand the appeal to this band. This album, also known as The Black Album, was my first exposure to Metallica, and I'm sure it was for many others as it marked a major shift in the style of music they were putting out into the world. Music that, to my great dismay, they are unfortunately unable to take back out of the world. I didn't get it back then, and I don't get it today. But I am one of a very small minority, apparently, as this album produced hit after hit after hit. Songs like Enter Sandman, hate it. The Unforgiven, hate it. Nothing Else Matters, hate it. And several others. Unfortunately, this is going to be popping up quite a bit over the next few months, so I want you to understand now. Every mention of this album or this band on this show henceforth should be received as a great sacrifice on my part. I would much prefer to forget this music exists at all. But for the sake of fair reporting, unbiased journalism, I will continue to share of this crappy band's almost unprecedented success. I can't make any promises with regard to my attitude around that reporting, but I won't bury it either. Blech. Now, to cleanse our palates, one more debut worth mentioning. This one from the following week, August 20th, 1991. The first studio album, but second album overall, from New York alternative funk rock band Spin Doctors, Pocket Full of Kryptonite. This album fared pretty well initially for a debut album, selling about 60,000 copies through the end of the year, but it wasn't until the song Little Miss Can't Be Wrong began getting traction with radio DJs in mid to late 1992 that sales really began picking up. Then they really picked up in the spring of 93 with the release of their second single, Two Princes. With the release of Two Princes, Pocketful of Kryptonite made it all the way to number three on the Billboard 200 chart in late April and early May of 1993, nearly two full years after the album's release, and sales jumped such that they wound up going five times platinum, selling over five million copies in the U.S. and another million in Europe. Pretty incredible. One fun fact about this band, one of their founding members was harmonica phenom John Popper. At the time, they were known as Trucking Company, though. They became spin doctors when Popper left to focus his time and energy on his main band, Blues Traveler. There were a couple other folks who came and went over the years, but the four guys who made up the original lineup remain to this day. The number one film in the country for each of these two weeks was, once again, Hot Shots, although these were its final two weeks at the top. There were a number of other movies released over the course of these weeks, but very few worth discussing. For example, among the titles we won't be talking about were such classics as The Commitments, Mystery Date, Women and Men 2, Defenseless, High Heels, and Showdown in Little Tokyo, each of which looks really 
truly terrible, and none of which I remember. I feel at least 80% sure none of you remember them either, but if I'm mistaken, please do let me know by leaving a message on the 30pop answering machine at 30pop.com. I do remember seeing the trailer for this movie when it came out, although I don't think I ever actually watched it. Mickey Rourke and Don Johnson as Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Harley. Marlboro. If you want to ride their road, you gotta know the rules. Never play cowboy. Schools out, boys. In a room full of Indians. It's better to be dead and cool than alive and uncool. Never go into a bar. I can't watch this. Unless you're willing to get smashed. You're pretty good under there. Never ride a Brahma bull. Strap on your seatbelt get ready to fly. When you can take a bus. Does that look like the work of two bit hoods? Yeah. Pros would have used my keys. Never rob a bank. Get back what's mine and kill these men, okay? Run by bigger crooks than you. Hey, man, that's what friendship's all about. Never resist an arresting officer. Cowboy, let's pull off some steam. We gotta talk to the man upstairs. Stand my tail. No problem. Never start at the bottom when you want the man on top. Never dive from the 20th floor. We're gonna jump. I hate you for this, Harley. I hate you, Harley! Unless the pool is full. You guys are a piece of work. Shoot him! Mickey Rourke, Don Johnson, Harley Davidson, and the Marlboro Man. Can't believe you shot me! I remember as a kid thinking these two looked so cool in this movie. After re-watching the trailer, though, I can tell you in no uncertain terms, I was wrong about that. This movie looks terrible. And apparently it was. It was nominated for Worst Picture at the Hastings Bad Cinema Society's 14th Stinkers Bad Movie Awards in 1991, and according to IMDb.com, left Mickey Rourke, who signed on for purely financial reasons, feeling like a sellout. It fueled his descent into self-loathing and turned him away from acting altogether and back fully to his first love, boxing. It did result in a deep friendship between him and Don Johnson, though, which is great because it completely bombed at the box office, making back less than a third of its estimated $23 million budget. Faring far better, both critically and commercially, was another new release from this week in 1991, the crime drama Dead Again, starring Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson. I loved my wife forever. Of course, forever. All right. You still killed her, didn't you? A crime from the past has obsessed her. That was Roman Strauss. That was his wife, Margaret. He stabbed her in the throat with a lovely pair of barber scissors. For whatever reason, these events are consuming her. A stranger. Ah, uh, Mike, church has found her. Why are you helping me? I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I feel sorry for you. Maybe I like you. How far back are you? 1948. Hypnosis can take us back to our past lives. You expect me just to run with that? There's a lot more people on this planet who believe in past lives than don't. What do you see? Mr. Strauss? Mike, someone wants to kill me. Those are just dreams. They're not real. The more she trusts him, it's okay. The more she fears him. This is exactly what happened with Roman and Margaret. I'm not Roman. She had a pair of scissors. 
others. To be the man who ended her life. Roman? More than 40 years ago. He was gonna kill me. You saw Mr. Church in the past. I'm not Roman! You were in the house. Roman! You take this, Roman! you sleep with it, you put it under your pillow, I come near you, you blow my head off, right? I would never hurt you. How am I supposed to keep him away? I mean, he really wants to see me. You burn somebody in one life, they get a chance to burn you back in this one. It's the karmic credit plan. Buy now, pay forever. Maybe Roman Strauss didn't kill his wife. What exactly is it between you and Mr. Baker? I could be a good friend, Margaret. If fate works at all, it works because people think that this time it isn't going to happen. The love and death of Roman and Margaret Strauss has begun all over again. This is all far from over. Dead again. I have very mixed feelings about this movie. I think the concept is great. I think the execution was not. I think the actors in supporting roles, Robin Williams and Andy Garcia, gave really impressive performances. I think the actors in the lead roles sucked. There were twists and turns and elements of really great storytelling in this movie, and it did really well at the box office. But nonetheless, I just wasn't a fan. I suppose I'd still recommend checking it out, as the parts they got right do make it worth the time. But it's not a strong recommendation by any stretch. There'll be more to say about this movie in our next episode of 30 Pop, as, unbelievably, it becomes the top film in the country for a couple weeks in a row. The movie that should have been number one, in my humble opinion, which also released this past week in 1991, was the quirky comedy-slash-crime-drama from Joel and Ethan Coen, Barton Fink, starring John Turturro and John Goodman. Welcome to Los Angeles, Mr. Fink. Excuse me? Howdy, neighbor. Are you a writer, Mr. Fink? Actually, I'm writing for the pictures now. Oh, it's an exciting time, then. Is that him? Is that Barton Fink? Say whatever the hell you want. The writer is king here at Capitol Pictures. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bond? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy a song. Is that more than one thing? Okay. Devil on the canvas. Twelve apples. Take one. Just having trouble getting started. Wallace Beery. Wrestling picture. What do you need? A roadmap? We all need understanding, Barton. Oh, you'll lick this picture business. Believe me, you got a head on your shoulders. And what is it they say? Where there's a head, there's hope. I'm sitting in the audience. The lights go down. Capital logo comes up. Come on. Hey, LAPD. Got some questions we want to ask you. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. Something horrible's happened. Female Caucasian, about 30 years old. Ever seen Munt with anyone fits that description? But, you know, with the head still on. Well, Barton, you might say I saw peace of mind. Right now, the contents of your head are the property of Capitol Pictures. But, Charlie, why me? Because you don't listen! A new film by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Now here's what I don't understand. This movie was nominated for three Academy Awards and a Golden Globe. 
It was nominated for the Grand Prix of the Belgian Film Critics Association, an award intended to honor the film of the year that, quote, contributed the most to the enrichment and influence of cinema, end quote. And it was the first movie ever to win all three major awards at the Cannes Film Festival, Best Director, Best Actor, and the Palme d'Or, or Golden Palm, which is generally considered to be one of the most prestigious awards in the entire film industry. But even still, and even despite being produced on a minuscule budget, this movie didn't even break even at the box office. It cost a measly $9 million to produce, but it only saw a return of $6.1 million worldwide. In fact, it barely broke a quarter of a million dollars its opening weekend. I watched this movie for the first time this week, and it was seriously so, so good. I mean, yes, it's weird, but it's the Coen brothers. That's what they do. John Turturro is spectacular. John Goodman is extraordinary. This is an excellent movie that was worth far more commercial success than it received. Go check it out. Seriously. In television over the course of these two weeks 30 years ago, we saw a number of new shows premiering and a couple more shows coming to an end. The shows that were wrapping up were the ill-conceived Ferris Bueller series and the Ron Howard-produced adaptation of the Ron Howard-directed comedy film Parenthood, starring David Arquette, Ed Begley Jr., Leonardo DiCaprio, and Max Elliott Slade, or as most folks may remember him, Colt, from the Three Ninjas franchise. New shows to hit the airwaves included the cartoon classics Rugrats, Doug, and The Ren and Stimpy Show which probably deserves an entire 30-pop episode of its own. One other change we saw in our weekly viewing schedules last week in 1991 was the move from ABC's coveted Friday night TGIF time slot to Tuesday nights for Joey Gladstone, Jesse Katsopoulos, Kimmy Gibbler, and the entire Tanner family from Full House. They remained in that Tuesday night slot all the way through the series finale in 1995. In the wild, wonderful world of sports, on August 11th, 1991, almost entirely unknown PGA Tour rookie John Daly won his first PGA championship. This was a pretty remarkable story, actually. Daly wasn't even scheduled to play in this tournament. He was listed as the ninth and final alternate for the championship, but when Tour veteran Nick Price dropped out a few days before, as his wife was giving birth, Daly drove through the night to make it to Crooked Stick Golf Club, where the tournament was being held just outside Indianapolis. Without even an opportunity to play a practice round on the notoriously difficult course, Daly shot a 69, 67, 69, and 71 over the course of the four-day tournament, winning by three strokes and becoming a household name almost overnight. He was named PGA Rookie of the Year for 1991. Also on August 11th, Chicago White Sox pitcher Wilson Alvarez pitched a no-hitter in his first Major League start. Sort of. Okay, technically it was his second Major League start, but the first one really shouldn't count. His first Major League start came more than two years earlier with the Texas Rangers. He was 19 years old and he only faced five batters. With those five batters, he gave up two walks, one single, and two home runs, which made for an essentially incalculable earned run average. Five days later, he was traded. So, I'd think of this August 11th no-hitter as a second shot at a first start. But however you think of it, it was very impressive, and I'm sure had the Texas Rangers kicking themselves for trading him instead of developing his potential. On August 20th, 1991, Miami Dolphins quarterback and future Ace Ventura pet detective character Dan Marino signed a five-year contract extension worth $25 million, displacing 49ers legend Joe Montana as the highest-paid player in the NFL. 
Good for you, Dan. Unfortunately, while all of this was happening in the world, there were also several pieces of sad news over the course of these two weeks. On August 13th, at the age of 65, Jack Ryan died. Not Jack Ryan, the fictional character created by author Tom Clancy and portrayed by John Krasinski, Chris Pine, Ben Affleck, Harrison Ford, and Alec Baldwin over the last 30 years, but Jack Ryan, the VP of Mattel Toys and inventor of Hot Wheels and Barbie dolls and the sixth of actress Zsa Zsa Gabor's Nine Husbands. And the last little bit of news from this week in 1991 was that of Hurricane Bob, one of the costliest hurricanes in New England's history, making landfall twice between August 18th and 20th, and causing somewhere between $1 and $3 billion in damage across the Atlantic coastline, not to mention a number of storm-related fatalities. This was the third Hurricane Bob in U.S. history the first two happening in 1979 and 1985, respectively. Because of the tremendous damage it caused, the name Bob was retired after the 1991 storm and replaced with Bill on the list of names that cycled through for major storms. And with that, I think we finally made it to the end of this whirlwind episode. It's been jam-packed, but hopefully as fun for you as it has been for me. Just a reminder that the next couple episodes will be special double episodes just like this one covering two weeks each. So I'll be back in two weeks with more 1991 pop culture neon gold. Please join me. I love it when you show up. Until next time, friends, remember, it's better to be dead and cool than alive and uncool. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 30 years ago that you want to share, leave a message on the answering machine at 30pop.com. 